Mission Mobilization Chats with Ryan Shaw, Multiplying Mission Mobilization Movements. This podcast is powered by Global Mission Mobilization Initiative. Subscribe, watch, and listen on YouTube today. Find more exciting resources, teachings, and tools for mission mobilization on globalmmi.net. All right. Well, welcome to our 30th episode of Mission Mobilization Chats, where we're looking at key issues related to mission mobilization uh, across the body of Christ. So in this episode, we want to actually look at what God seems to be saying to the church through this recent Asbury uh, University awakening that has now been spreading to many colleges uh, in the U.S., but also uh, beyond the U.S. So Uh, For those of you who may not be aware, on February 8th, just a little bit over a month ago, following a routine chapel service uh, at Asbury University, everybody had left the meeting, they'd gone to their courses or their classes, and then maybe a half hour, 45 minutes after chapel, about 15 or so students Uh, left their classes or wherever they were, and they actually came back to the auditorium uh, where the chapel services had been, feeling just compelled by the Lord to come back and spend time uh, in this auditorium, uh, worshiping the Lord, confessing uh, sin, etc., Well, this then ended up continuing throughout that day, uh, February 8th, uh, and more students flocked to the auditorium throughout that afternoon just to be with Jesus, sitting in his presence, uh, surrounded by the peace of God. It was very, very uh, strong uh, that day. There was no announcements made saying, oh, come to the auditorium and pray or worship. It was not a meeting in the classical sense, but students who were hungry for God, they were just drawn by the Lord, uh, sensing his nearness and his invitation to come and to sit with him and to worship at his feet. So that took place throughout the afternoon. And then by the evening, this auditorium at the Asbury University campus had several hundred students that were in it just seeking the face of God. A little bit of music and worship was happening, but it it was not a traditional meeting, again, in the classical sense, but instead it was a sovereign work of God where the Holy Spirit was seen to be organizing the whole thing. Okay, and that was just on day number one. All right. So there were human leaders that were involved uh, in stewarding this awakening over the next several weeks, uh, but the Lord was in charge. And that's the key point. And we're going to highlight some other points related to that uh, as we consider what is God saying through this Asbury uh, awakening. So this meeting then ended up going on day and night for the next 18 days. All right, the next 18 days. And during that time frame, about 100,000 visitors flocked to this little town of Wilmore, uh, Kentucky to really experience what God uh, was doing in that place. So the, the student body at the campus is uh, plus the, uh, the professors and the faculty is only about 1,500 people. Okay. And the town itself is only about 5,000 people. And yet 100,000 people in a span of 18 days 
came and visited uh, Asbury and what the work of God uh, or what God was doing uh, in that place. And so we firmly believe uh, that this is a work of God of spiritual awakening that is meant to have really a profound effect and impact, not only upon the American church, but this is a work of God that we sense is a very dynamic thing that he's wanted, wanting to even affect and impact uh, the entire global church, that that is part of where uh, he wants this to go. Okay, That's why we need to understand uh, what he's wanting to say in and through uh, this time of revival. Now, what I love about revival and, and uh, being a student of revival history for many years is that in times of re- revival, God seems to be using a megaphone to communicate core elements that are on his heart. All right. So these are some of the things we want to consider today. What are those, those issues, those core elements that he's speaking through this particular awakening? All right. Now, when we look at at, again, revivals and God's works of uh, spiritual awakenings in, 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 uh, in the past, we need to understand a few principles related to them that will help us maybe discern what the Spirit of God is saying today through this awakening. So um, the Holy Spirit, through revivals, historically in awakenings, He is progressively restoring core aspects of who we are meant to be as the body of Christ, but that might have been lost over the centuries uh, within the body of Christ. So that's what revival is meant to do, to restore key elements, to restore key aspects that we either have neglected in the Word of God or that we've just overlooked or that maybe we've uh, deliberately rebelled against, whatever it might be, there are core elements across even the global body of Christ that have been, that have been left out, that have been overlooked, that have been lost. All right. So in times of revival and spiritual awakening, he is restoring uh, some of those key elements. Now, when we look back uh, in the scripture itself and we look at the early church, right, in the New Testament, the early church in the New Testament is actually meant to be a model and a pattern of what the church even today ought to be like. Okay, in terms of function, in terms of operation, in terms of what the early church walked in, we are also uh, meant to be walking in that same way and in that same light. Okay? The early church in the New Testament is actually the only generation in terms of church life that is recorded in the canon of Scripture. And that is on purpose. Okay, Again, it's supposed to be seen as a model. It's supposed to be seen as a pattern. When we go, what should the body of Christ be like today? We look back in the New Testament, don't we? Because that is our model. That is uh, our standard. Yet the problem arises in that right after that first century, AD 30 till roughly about AD 100, okay, the first century church, just following AD 100, the church began to lose ground. Okay, not just geographic ground, that's not what I'm saying, but lose ground spiritually, losing out on core aspects that it possessed actually during that first century church, when the church was so vital, when the church went out in its missionary mandate like never before. No other time have we seen, uh, even in mission sending and mission cooperation, as we did in that uh, early church, that first century. All right. So things started to go downhill very, very quickly. 
All right. And that loss, those, those losses of the uh, key aspects, the core pieces that God wants, wants the churches to walk in, that continued then. Even after AD 100, it continued really all the way up through the Middle Ages. Okay. And it became very pronounced. Uh, that's why some scholars and historians call the Middle Ages the dark ages. It was kind of this time of, of darkness that there were Christians, there were churches, but the light was very dim. Okay, those were the Middle Ages, and that was kind of the epitome of when we really lost uh, almost everything. Okay, in terms of our inheritance uh, as as the Church of Jesus Christ, but then things started to get recovered. Okay, and you'll remember the uh, in the 1500s the Protestant Res uh, Reformation. It was during this time that God began this restoration work. You remember I said a lot of revival activity and spiritual awakening is restoring lost elements that have been overlooked. Well, the Protestant Reformation began to bring some of those things back. Now, God is never doing everything at once. God is a progressive God in that he does a little bit in this decade, a little bit in this decade, a little bit of this decade, and he's restoring things uh, progressively, we can say. Not all uh, his progressive or his restorative works, his works of restoration, not all of them will happen uh, just all at the same time. That's not how he works. Century by century by century, over the last 500 years in particular, since the Protestant Reformation, God has been restoring key aspects of who we are as the body of Christ. And maybe in another episode, we'll get into some of those specific revival movements even and what they were restoring, what the core elements were uh, that those were restoring. Okay. Now I want us to uh, look back before we get into what is God saying through the Asbury uh, Awakening. I want to remind us of Psalm chapter 80. Uh, this is a psalm that highlights a, a recurring verse three separate times in this one psalm. Okay, So in Psalm verses 3, verse 7, and then verse 19, this psalm includes a very important prayer. And this prayer is repeated three times, almost exactly the same way, which tells us of its importance. Tells us that when, when anything shows up in the Word of God over and over like that, it means ding, 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 pay attention. Okay? I'm repeating this over and over. Why? Because it's crucial. Because it's important. All right? So this pivotal prayer, what's the prayer? It says this in verses 3, 7, and 19 of Psalm chapter 80. Restore us, O God of hosts. Cause your face to shine upon us, and we shall be saved, or we shall be delivered. Restore us, O God of hosts. Cause your face to shine upon us. All right? Now, this prayer is full of spiritual power, and it can be applied to each one of us in our individual lives related to step-by-step -step restorations that God wants to bring. Restore us, O God, and cause your face to shine upon us. That would be, Lord, restore us in our individual lives in these various aspects. Lord, restore our family members in these various aspects that he might highlight. Restore our ministries, restore our churches, restore even the global body of Christ with some of these areas that we've overlooked, that we've neglected, that we haven't given as much focus to. 
Okay, so that's what God wants to do through times of revival. He's restoring certain elements, and we can use this prayer to say, God, come, restore us. Cause your face to shine. That's what's happening in times of revival, in times of awakening. He's turning his face in a more deliberate way than he usually does to shine upon the people of God in order to shine some specific areas of truth, some specific focal points, again, that we've not necessarily seen and understood. And he doesn't want them just to be restored for uh, a nice, you know, one month long time of revival. Okay, no, we, of course, we pray it lasts longer than one month. But no, it's more than that. It's actually, he wants to see these things restored with such power through the revival movement that has such authority on it that those things are restored then for decades to come and even restored completely in the body of Christ that we never lose it again. Okay, that's what God is wanting to do uh, in times of awakening. So our question today for this episode is, what then is God speaking related to the key restorations through this new outbreak of the Holy Spirit uh, that was ignited at Asbury University about a month ago. So what messages is God wanting to uh, kind of get the church's attention through this Asbury revival? What is he wanting to cause his face to shine uh, upon? Okay, so that's what we're looking at. I'm going to highlight six restorations that I've observed and that I sense the Lord wanting to work uh, in and through this fresh outpouring of the Spirit. And so these are big picture transformations, okay, that He desires to solidify in us and then establish them in such a way that we never lose them again. Okay? That's one of the problems in revival. We get so excited about the revival, then we move on to the next thing. We don't really remember or understand what He was trying to restore and so it ends up sometimes in the long run bringing about very little fruit. We don't want that to be the situation. We want to learn and we want to take serious and we want to say, Lord, root these things deep in us so that the revival's great, but when we come out of revival, we're now moving forward with these key restorations, never uh, to lose them uh, again. Now, these six are not comprehensive. These are just, this isn't the only thing God has been doing or speaking through this revival. Obviously, he's doing many things all at the same time in any work of God. These are just six that I believe the Holy Spirit is really shining like a spotlight on uh, related to what we can learn and what we can glean and what needs to be restored if we're going to move forward in a more healthy way. All right, so let's jump right in. I wish I had a lot more time to unpack these six. I'm still learning about them. I'm praying about them. I'm asking the Lord to give me more understanding about them. So maybe in the future, uh, in future episodes, we will maybe have like a, an episode for each of these six. I don't know what the Lord will, will do in the future. But just for today, I want to give just a nutshell of all six of these very, very quickly. All right. So the first one we want to look at. The first restoration that the Holy Spirit seems to be highlighting, he seems to be wanting to restore Jesus as truly being the head of his church, okay? Not just an overlooked bystander. In many of our churches, in many of our denominations, in many of our services, in many of our ministries, this isn't necessarily intended, but... Jesus has become, because we've kind of pushed him out, he's become an overlooked bystander instead of who he's meant to be. He's meant to truly be the head of his body. 
All right, not just a little bystander off, off on the side somewhere. Uh, on the side somewhere. This means, in order to get there, this means delivering his people from the current, what I call, uh, hero worship in the body of Christ, specifically related to our leaders. Almost in some places, in some ministries, in some churches, in some cultures, almost a cult-like following of many of our leaders. Okay? Now, human leaders are important. God has set up human leaders, but they are never, ever, 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 ever meant to take the place of the true head of the church who is Jesus Christ. Okay? So many of our churches all over the world, this isn't just true in America, okay? all over the world, many of our churches have this problem of hero worship. This problem of celebrity, uh, kind of star in the eyes, celebrity pastors and celebrity evangelists uh, and all this stuff. Okay? Instead, Jesus wants to be the head again. Okay? And this is a crucial restoration. We've gotten a little bit off track with that. Uh, we say he's the head, but then we really are following our leaders more then we're actually listening to our head. Leaders are meant to be in such submission to the head that whatever comes through their mouth is what is directly uh, intended or spoken by the head himself, who is Jesus Christ. That's not how the church actually functions. That's how we're supposed to function, but that's not how we actually function uh, in, this, uh, in, in, the, in the body of Christ globally. So in this awakening... I sense that part of what Jesus is saying uh, is that I am the head, you guys. Yes, I use leaders, but the leaders are not the focal point. So one of the characteristics of this Asbury University revival, as many of you know if you've been following it at all, is that human leaders have actually been putting themselves to the side. Okay, they've chosen to be out of the focus, out of the limelight, so to speak. And it's the Spirit Himself who's taking control in these meetings. He's the one leading them. He's the one guiding them. Okay? And so this actually has very profound implications for the body of Christ because the Holy Spirit is, is wanting to get this celebrity thing uh, rebalanced. We've become a little bit out of balance in our, uh, in our pastoral worship. Now, we never, never use those words, but that's actually what is happening in the human heart. We are looking more to the celebrity evangelist than we are to the head of the church, uh, who is Jesus himself. All right. So this actually leads us to the second restoration. So the second restoration is that the Spirit seems to be restoring humble leadership across the church. At least that's his desire. We might not be there yet, but the Spirit is, is shouting through the megaphone of revival that humble leadership is really the only kind of leadership that we're meant to have in the body of Christ. Okay, So right now when we look around the church, again, we cannot claim that uh, all of the body of Christ leaders are humble leaders uh, because they're not. Many are seeking fame. Many are this celebrity thing. Not just are the uh, members of our churches having this hero worship of this cult-like following almost uh, of our leaders. Not only are the, the people doing it, but the leaders are manipulating it often, not always, manipulating it in such a way to get the attention on themselves. Okay, That is not humble leadership. 
And so Jesus is saying, through this awakening, my people, my leaders, who will be held to a higher accountability than the rest of the body of Christ when we stand before the Lord, my leaders have to be humble, he is saying. Okay? So those leaders then that, that are promoting themselves, that have the, the look at me kind of uh, perspective, okay? I believe in, in the coming years, as we get closer and closer to the fulfillment of the Great Commission and closer to the second coming of Christ, those look at me leaders in the body of Christ that are not embracing humility, they will be by bypassed by the Lord. Right now, the Lord has extensive mercy. He's wanting us to turn of our own uh, volition away from the pride, away from the, the attracting people to me instead of attracting people to him, the head of the church. He's waiting for us to repent of that. He's waiting for us to get free of it ourselves. But there will come a day when he won't wait any longer. He'll just say, if you're that way, I, I love you. I'm committed to you. I'll forgive you but I'm going to bypass you as one of the leaders in my body. Uh, and he, we're moving to a time when that's going to be growing. Now, what we're talking about here in terms of the humble leadership is the opposite of actually what we see in, the lot of, in a lot of leadership in the body of Christ, which is kind of having this, what I call spiritual showmanship. Spiritual showmanship. What does this mean? Well, first of all, it grieves the Holy Spirit. And second of all, what it means is maybe it's a certain preaching style okay, that really draws attention more to me than it does to Jesus. It makes the people reliant on me more than the people actually reliant upon Jesus. It's the, the antics that sometimes we see on, on the platforms Okay, on, of churches, the preaching platforms, the pulpits, all these antics and all of this style that really doesn't glorify Jesus at all. We can leave out all of that and actually glorify Jesus a lot more. And so one of the things that the Lord is highlighting is I want to pull back. I want my leaders to pull back and to be humble, not trying to draw all this attention uh, to yourself. And one of the reasons we know that the Spirit is saying this through this Asbury Awakening is because when you look at the Awakening, it's been characterized by leadership that is almost totally free from this, these eccentric uh, kind of sh shows of whatever that are unnecessary. Okay? This Awakening has, has been free from that. Okay? So when leaders are, are on the microphone, when they're talking... They're not drawing attention to themselves at all. It's a humility. There's no eccentricity. There's no extra human emotion. There's no hype trying to get the people. No, you don't need to get the people excited in times of awakening because the presence of God is there. You don't need the extra hype. Okay. So we don't see it in this awakening. Okay. Now, in, when we're not in times of revival, we think we need to kind of help God. And so let's add a little extra human emotion. Let's add a little extra hype to the meeting so that the people can get excited. We don't want boring church meeting meetings. So the leadership feels like they have to add all this uh, eccentricity uh, with, to their preaching style. And, to all, and God says, no, 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 I'm actually not in any of that, God says. Okay. I'm in the humble leaders, not having the spiritual showmanship, but drawing attention to me uh, as the head. That's what the Spirit is saying. We see Jesus uh, highlighting this in Matthew 11, verse 29. So he talks about his own humility 
And he says, I want my leaders to function and to operate with this same kind of humility. What does he say? Matthew eleven twenty nine 29 says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. What that means is follow my example. Learn from me. What's his example? He tells us in the next little bit, for I am gentle and lowly among you. I'm not trying to attract. Jesus never attracted Well, let's rephrase it. He did attract a crowd. Jesus never promoted himself to a crowd. Jesus never called a meeting. Did you know that? He never had his disciples go out and, you know, promote on social media or whatever it would have been back in the day. Okay, Jesus is going to be meeting in Capernaum or Jesus is going to be meeting in Nazareth. Uh, come Come and hear him. Never had to do that. Why? Because wherever Jesus was, that's where the meeting was. That's where people were attracted. He didn't have to use hype. He didn't have to use all this external manipulation. He walked in perfect humility uh, as the man, it says here, who was gentle and lowly. And so he says to us, learn from me. Be that kind of a leader. You don't need to do all this extra antics to draw attention uh, to him. Because really all you're doing is drawing attention uh, to ourselves in that way. So Jesus is our model of that humble leadership. I am gentle. I'm lowly among you. Learn from me. So instead of the current model, and we have a lot of young people in Bible schools and seminaries looking at the big famous preachers and saying, oh, I, I, must, I, I need to preach like they do. I need to have all the antics. I need to have all the, the, the manipulation. I need to have all the showmanship like they do. And Jesus is saying, no, that's not my will for you at all. Embrace humble leadership and I will bless you. You don't have to draw the crowds in your own humanness. Okay, so that's one of the key things that the Lord is wanting to restore. Humble leadership. That's number two. Number three. And I need to go a little faster here because of time. The third restoration that he wants to highlight is a deep love for the powerful presence of God. A deep love for his presence. Okay, That's what's happening through this revival. His presence is showing up and young people... All generations have come, but young people, this is happening at a university campus. you got to remember that. So that's the focal audience on the heart of God. The young generation who is often disillusioned right now by organized religion, often disillusioned by cultural Christianity, or what we could also say is powerless Christianity is the same as cultural Christianity. Uh, They're tired of all of that. They're disillusioned by it. They're saying, I want the reality. And guess what has shown up at Asbury? The powerful presence of God, which is the reality. Again, young people don't need hype. They don't even want hype. They want God. They want the reality of Christ Jesus. All right. That's what I love about what we're seeing in this awakening. is because this is characterized by God cutting through all of the... Uh, organized Christianity that often doesn't touch anybody's heart. It's him that touches hearts. It's not programs that help people. It's the gospel, the power of God released through Christ Jesus. That's what the people want. That's what the people are hungry for. And that is what will bring transformation uh, at the end of the day. And that's what's happening in this awakening. So young people are needing Peace. They're so full of anxiety. They're so full of 
of emotional turmoil. Sometimes we call that depression. They need the peace of God. They need the joy of God filling their hearts uh, in the midst of this broken generation and in this disillusioned uh, generation. So what I love about what God is doing is he seems to be wanting to, to really make a trophy out of the brokenness of a young generation that has been in turmoil and say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lavish them with my powerful presence. My, my power, my truth, my reality is going to transform them. And then I'm going to sh- show them as a trophy to the world of what I can do, God is saying, in, in terms of bringing the most broken generation into the most blessed of circumstances sitting uh, in my presence. That's what we want. That's what he's saying. And that's what the church needs, that restoration. Not more programs, not more meetings, but sitting in the powerful presence of God, allowing him to saturate us and to bring transformation uh, in our lives. This is a powerful reality. It's a new ministry paradigm. It's a new way, and it's not new at all. It's how they did it in the New Testament. God's presence was so powerful among them in the New Testament that he brought the transformation. They didn't need all these programs. Now, programs aren't bad, but they can't be the focus. That's what the Lord seems to be uh, highlighting. Now, fourth, the fourth restoration. The Holy Spirit seems to be highlighting again, and he's always doing this, but it seems to be a firm message through this awakening, the importance of the first commandment being prioritized. What's the first commandment? We remember in Matthew uh, 22, 37, Jesus himself called it the great commandment. Now, if Jesus, son of God, the word made flesh, says something in the word is the highest priority for, we need to listen to that. Amen. That's why he calls it the great commandment. So what is it? He says this in Matthew 22, 37, the first and greatest commandment, there it is, is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Loving God with all of our being, that is one of the core things that the Lord is wanting uh, to restore. Now, this has always been God's priority for his people. So it's not like we're in a new day today that he's saying, oh, I want my people to love me now. I wasn't so concerned about that before. We're not saying he's restoring it in that way. That has always been a priority. What he's restoring, I think, is the fact of more and more people will be aligning with this priority in the coming decades more than ever before in history. That's where the church is going. That's where the Spirit is leading His church more in love with Jesus than we've ever been before. And that's going to bring us into alignment then with the Great Commission. And we'll get to that Uh, in a moment. So God has created us to know him and to love him with all of our being. He's highlighting this uh, in this awakening. The fifth restoration. Now this is along the same line because it's difficult for for us to love him with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength, which means all of our being. Okay. It's difficult to love him in that way unless we're also making him Lord over our lives. So this is a key restoration that I think he's doing and I think he's blaring it on the microphone or or on the megaphone. He's saying, I want to restore Jesus's lordship 
among believers and churches. Now, this is similar to the very uh, first one that he highlighted, that he wants to be head, but it's a little bit different. Because there we said he wants to be head of the church corporately. Here we're saying he wants, uh, yes, to be head and Lord corporately, but the only way he can do that is through individuals submitting to his lordship. So why do we highlight this? Why do we think the Spirit is, is saying this through this particular uh, awakening? Well, because the church has gotten very focused of late, and it's even true uh, last several hundred years, we do real well getting people uh, to come to Jesus as Savior. All right, so people getting saved, all the t- I, Lord, thank you, I take you as my Savior, I believe that you are my Savior, okay? But we've often neglected to take him then as Lord as well. Maybe not simultaneously. Maybe first step is I take him as Savior, and then quick after I take him as Lord. But even in the New Testament, actually you find it happening at the same time. Because taking him as Savior is the same as taking him as Lord. If we're not willing to make him Lord, then we've not really taken him as Savior related to how he meant and how he intended us uh, to live for him and follow, uh, following him. So the Bible doesn't separate these. The Bible never separates taking him as Savior and then taking him as Lord. They're always link, linked together. In fact, we hardly find any, I don't think there are any, examples in recorded scripture in the Bible of people getting saved, taking him as Savior, but neglecting to surrender their all to him as Lord. That is a crucial restoration. Jesus wants the whole body of Christ, not just a few people who will become ministers and become missionaries and message bearers and these. He doesn't want just those guys surrendering all. He says, I want my whole body taking me as Savior, yes, but then in full surrender that I am not my own, that I have been bought at a price, the most glorious price, the price of God in the flesh himself, I must now as a result, and I want to, it's my joy, not I must in a duty way, but it's my joy, it's my desire. Lord, you've given me so much. Of course I want to surrender lordship to you because you are so worthy of it, because you are so uh, deserving of it. All right, so I believe that the Spirit is, one of the things He's doing through this awakening is restoring this growing surrender to Him in all of these areas. Because he's given us so much, the only real response in terms of true Christianity, authentic discipleship, is to now say, Lord, I'm your bond servant. Lord, I'm your bond slave. Lord, not my will be done, but your will. And again, not just for leaders. This is for every single member of the body of Christ. Can you imagine if this restoration really takes root across Every national uh, body of Christ across Latin America, Africa, Asia, the Middle East, North America, Europe. If this were to take root, how different uh, Christianity would be expressed in the earth, wouldn't it? Okay, that's what the Lord intends. And that's what he's saying through this awakening. This is where I'm taking my church. This is where I want to go. Now let's look at the last one, the sixth restoration that the Spirit seems to be highlighting. He seems to be restoring the centrality of the church's responsibility to partner with Jesus in the fulfillment of the Great Commission. Let me say that again. He seems to be restoring the centrality of the church's responsibility to partner with Jesus 
in the fulfillment of the Great Commission. We said restoring the church's centrality. What that means is the Great Commission is not off on the periphery somewhere. It's put into the center of why we exist as the global people of God. Okay, that is very different than how the church is operating right now. Okay, and he's calling for a very different uh, outlook. Now, this one is actually connected to the fourth one about the Spirit highlighting the, the first and greatest commandment. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, strength. That has to be first. If that is restored across the body of Christ globally, we will see this sixth one that we're talking about now, this centrality of the church's responsibility to partner with Jesus in the fulfillment of the Great Commission, because this flows out of that restoration of the first commandment being given its rightful priority once again. Right now, we're not there as the global body of Christ. We have worship services, we, we sing songs about loving Him, but then we go on our merry way and we, throughout the week, we do our own thing, basically. Okay, that's very different than Jesus saying the first and the greatest commandment to love me with all of your being and then taking up the church's responsibility to make center, central, this message of partnering with Jesus in the fulfillment of the Great Commission. So when we're uh, embracing the first commandment rightly, we're willing to die to ourselves. We're willing to embrace that fifth one that we just highlighted, that restoration of embracing his lordship in our lives, embracing his surrender. He is God. We are not. He is in charge. We are not. And we must give him that rightful uh, place. And so we love how this awakening is causing believers. It's drawing believers into a deeper experiential knowledge of Christ. And that's what happens. Anytime, anytime we go deeper in the experiential love of Christ, what's the next step? The next step is taking what he loves and the Lord imparting to us what he loves supremely, what he loves more than anything else, and putting that into our hearts and empowering us to walk in it. And we know that is the fulfillment uh, of the Great Commission. He wants the entire global body of Christ all ethnic people groups, uh, all churches among all ethnic people groups, empowered to go out and empowered to spread the love of Christ within their own countrymen, and then even within uh, those are from that those are, that are from very different uh, people groups. So the Lord wants to restore this. One of the key things related to this that he wants to restore is uh, what I call a comprehensive understanding of mobilization. Right now, we do not understand mobilization very clearly uh, in the body of Christ. Instead, he's wanting to restore this comprehensive understanding, meaning that mobilization is about motivating the body of Christ to embrace her core identity as the vehicle that God wants to use in the Great Commission, as the instrument God wants to uh, use. Not just one or two missionaries, okay, but the whole body of Christ together operating in their different roles, their different giftings, their different callings, all contributing to one focal point, the fulfillment uh, of the Great Commission. This is why we say mobilization is meant to be at the center of churches. Not how it is understood right now is, well, let's get a few, one or two missionaries from our church and praise the Lord, we've done mobilization. No, 
That is not the comprehensive outlook that the Lord really intends. All right, so these are the six restorations. And our prayer is that we would see all of these six restorations that the Spirit seems to be highlighting in this time uh, of awakening. We want to see these taken root in the body of Christ. Yes, there, maybe the Spirit screams, so to speak, in the megaphone that these are important during times of awakening, but actually it's after the time of awakening that we need to remind ourselves over and over and we need to allow these then, these messages uh, to be taken root within us so that we can see the true transformation that God wants to bring. Restorations should not be restored for a limited time and then forgotten again. That's not true transformation. God wants true, lasting fruit that remains from now until the second coming of Christ, okay, so that the church is progressing again in all of these core areas that need restoration. Amen? Let me close us in prayer. Father, we thank you for this work of revival, this work of awakening that you have brought forth. This is a sovereign work of your hand. Lord, we see and we hear some of these messages, God. You're saying many more things than we've highlighted in this brief time, Lord. But these six messages, these six areas of restoration, Lord, they really are key. And we thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are blasting them. You want your church to hear them. Now, Lord, we know that we are sometimes slow to hear, God. And so we ask that you would give us ears to hear and eyes to see what the Spirit is saying to his church. Holy Spirit, help us to hear these messages, to hear these restorations, God, and to pray and to work and to teach in such a way, Lord, to see these restorations really taking root across the church, not in just one church network, not in one little pocket over here, one little group over there. No, Lord, we want to see it across the body of Christ because that's your will. You want it to be done across the body. We thank you for it. We say, Lord, let it come. Let it be these six restorations rooted in the body of Christ. We thank you for them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. The Lord bless you. Have a great week as you reflect more even uh, on these restorations that we've discussed. To listen to more Mission Mobilization Chats, subscribe on YouTube or go to globalmmi.net.